Welcome to the Small Nonprofit Podcast with down-to-earth practical advice on how to get things done in your small organization. You are going to change the world and we can help. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Cindy Wagman, and I'm joined by my co-host, Anya McGlynn. Hi, everyone. So today's episode, Anya, is actually the last of this season. I'm going to miss you. (laughs) But how is it possible that we're at the end of another season? It feels like we just had this idea around a podcast yesterday. I know. And it's, uh, this was our fourth season of producing it, which is amazing. And I definitely, before we get into the content, want to thank all of our listeners uh, because this has been so much fun. We will be back in the fall uh, with more amazing episodes. I really, we're, we're creating that lineup right now and it's looking fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, but all, and always uh, interested in what, uh, what you all want us to cover. So, um, you know, you can always uh, tweet at us or on Instagram or uh, email us um, your ideas and your guest suggestions. Exactly. We would love to hear what you want to learn more about or let us know your favorites. And of course, uh, we hear, (laughs) I always meet people and they say, I love your podcast. And my first response is, please, please make sure you review and rate it and leave a um, comment on iTunes or whatever you listen to your podcast with, because it helps other people in the same shoes as you are in find it and discover these resources. So if you have a minute, go ahead right now and just leave a review and rating to help other people discover the the content that you love. So with that, today's topic uh, is one of my favorites. And Anya, let's start by, do you have a favorite professional development experience of, of recent. So what's been your favorite learning or book or content that, that's helped you learn and grow? Geez, that is a tough question. I feel like I'm, uh, I'm, I'm really lucky in, in the sense that like curiosity and learning is kind of an essential part of me doing my job well. Like, um, you know, I, I do a lot of work when, on systems and processes and cloud-based tools for our clients. And there is no shortage of uh, tools to review or new, um, you know, new strategies for integration and data management to learn. And especially because I'm, you know, I'm not formally trained in these things. It's, it's been a constant, like, 10-year journey of, uh, of upping my professional skill set in that regard. So, it's hard to pick just one. If, if I had to choose like a, like a, a more formalized, like paid, I bought the subscription and the course and all that, it would be Ben L. Collins courses on um, Google Sheets. Mm-hmm. Um, super well, um, well-planned, well-delivered content. And like, it really does make you feel 100% more empowered when you go back to your job um, after having experienced a really good professional development resource. I love that. And I love your answer because your approach to learning, I feel should be everyone's approach to learning. Even if you are the biggest expert and you are an expert in these things, but you, that doesn't mean you stop, right? We're, yeah. The world is changing so rapidly all the time. And that's how we've always approached learning uh, in the good partnership and with the work that we do. And 
Part of the reason I prioritize that is because in my experience in the sector, especially with small organizations, there's just not a lot of space for, you know, dedicating resources or time and energy and money to actually have focused learning. That's right. And I think some people feel guilty about it, right? They're like, oh, but like, I should be doing this other, you know, mission related work. But like, you know, ask yourself what you're learning and developing yourself professionally that you're going to bring back to your organization. Um, You know, the benefit is not just for you, the benefit is, is for, um, you know, how you bring that learning back and how you improve processes or how you fundraise better or, you know, show up better for your community, like whatever it is that you're, you're engaged in from a learning perspective. Exactly. I think it's so important to our personal and professional development and growth. And the, the, I don't want to call it an irony, but, but the thing about right now is I feel like everyone has been thrust into, into learning, into doing new things on all fronts, like in all parts of our lives. And so let's hope that we can hold on to that, hold on to that commitment of, of, understanding our shortcomings and trying new things and, and actually see that carry over into a post COVID world. That's it. And you know, there's, there's no better time than, than the present to, uh, to sort of, you know, use some of those, those extra Netflix hours that you have (laughs) to uh, maybe it's not even learn something new, but to reinforce what you have just learned. Um, Mm. You know, that like, it's not just, enough to sit down with the resource and, and spend the active time learning. You have to reinforce um, through practice and, mm-hmm. and revisiting. And, um, you know, if if you're not necessarily into learning something brand new right now, maybe it's the time is spent to, to reinforce what you have learned recently. Great point. I love that because practice makes perfect, if not better. Um, so with that, today's guest, Erin Sanderson, is, uh, is joining us to talk about uh, continued learning. Um, and Aaron is himself really committed to that. He's an international award-winning fundraising professional with over a decade of experience at leading nonprofit organizations like War Child Canada, Sick Kids Foundation, BC Children's Hospital Foundation, and Plan International Canada. And he's currently the SVP and Chief Development Officer at Kids Help Phone. Uh, so please join me in welcoming Aaron to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Cindy. It's a real pleasure to chat with you today. I'm really excited for this conversation because you and I have talked before about professional development and learning. And it's such an important part of my DNA that I'm such a huge fan. Like I think everyone needs to be learning and upskilling. So I know that's part of your DNA as well. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Yeah. And even after we had that chance to chat about this a month or so back, I, you got me so curious that I looked into, you know, what is the value of the nonprofit sector, you know, in terms of GDP for Canada? And it's actually over 8%. Yeah. And so as we think about the value that we play in our country, not just in the social good, but it, it really behooves us to consider how we continue to improve mm-hmm. uh, because it's so important to our communities, but also to our country. Yeah. I always say like, this is the most important work of our society, right? And 
as you said, it's, it's a huge part of our economy, but more importantly, this is our legacy, right? As a society, the work that our sector does is really, it's the most valuable. And for some reason, it's also the least valued, right? We kind of expect organization. I mean, this is, there's such a deep conversation to be had around the value of our work and all of that. But part of it is, I think we have to understand that organizations need to be, and we as a, a you know, people of, of the sector need to be constantly learning. You know, the for-profit sector understands that that's built in to how they work. And I think it's often an afterthought or the first thing to get cut when budgets are cut, because we don't seem to value it as much. Mm -hmm. We seem to think that, you know, base level entry is good enough. And Mm -hmm. I think all of us who have been active in the sector including those professional volunteers who get a really close look at how our organizations operate can tell that's, that's not going to be good enough for the modern functioning, well-functioning organization. So there is a lot to be done and probably a significant mind shift that we need to have not just across Canada, but also for ourselves. I think there's lots of um, professionals out there that have sort of bought into that and don't Mm. expect that of themselves anymore. And uh, it's it's time for us to address that. Absolutely. And so what we're going to talk about today is how how we can create space and room for learning. Uh, and we'll talk about different, you know, f- budget points, including free, because, you know, there is that reality and we are not going to see huge culture change right away. But you know, really understanding how we can invest in ourselves, both as individuals and organizations, so that we can do better work and work better. So let's start with a little bit of the, you know, how do we approach this? How do we start to think about our development needs? Because it's not as simple as, I really want to learn this, or um, I saw this cool webinar that looks interesting. You know, the best learning is, or at least I don't want to say the best, but some of the most intentional learning I think can have the best outcomes. So how do we be, how do we think about this intentionally in terms of our development? Yeah. And I, I, there's probably a body of knowledge around this that would be more focused, but I gave you sort of my personal perspective and that that's always been when the day when you're approaching projects or picking up new strategies and there's a moment in there where there's this hit in your stomach that says, Oh, but that part's going to be really tough. Mm. It might be because it feels daunting because you haven't skilled up mm-hmm. versus if we go with just what looks interesting to us when it crosses our radar, we might actually be finding that we choose the things that we know that we have comfort in. So it actually might not be rounding you out in a purposeful or intentional way, as you say, to just pick those things that look interesting. So instead, if we look at it to say, where might I need to stretch myself, where I seem to struggle the most, where I sort of feel the most daunted by, and then go seek opportunities, we might find that that becomes more effective. I love that. I think that's so true. And, you know, we all get that pit from time to time. Uh, whether it feels like imposter syndrome or just like we've bitten off more than we can chew. And, and that's such a good gut indicator of like, okay, 
this is something that I have to figure out and chances are there are resources available for you to help figure that out more effectively, right? The thing is, is that you can fake it till you make it. You can try and learn by um, spending all the time, you know, figuring it out on your own. But how much time are you going to save if you actually seek out the resources that can help you be more effective with less effort and time? Yes. And I think it's also important to consider what are different modes of receiving that learning and getting Mm. that, that, that practice in. Some people may also find that they end up choosing more formal classroom steps, um, setting learning environments, because that's what we're used to. We've all gone through the school system. It's probably a comfortable place, but that might not be, that might limit your scope of opportunity to learn significantly. And I think that's very much the case for us in our sector, because I can pretty much name on one hand, how many formal classroom setting learning opportunities there are specific for us. Mm-hmm. And now as we're recording this, no one's congregating anymore, anywhere. Mm-hmm. Hopefully uh, by the time this comes out, there'll be more gatherings, but I think we'll see a, a delay in terms of how long it takes for bigger conferences or at your classrooms. This has definitely impacted ways that we think we can learn, right? And ways that we can look for these resources. And I also, I, I'm a bit of a believer that some of the more traditional classroom style opportunities that have been around for, you know, 15 years, they're teaching content from 15 years ago, which might not be the best content for you right now. So I love that looking for alternatives um, and, and different ways of accessing information. What are some of your favorites? Like, I also think we all have different ways of learning. So what do you, how do you like to, to learn new content? Yeah, I'm a real social learner. Mm-hmm. And so um, I enjoy interacting with others as I'm sort of wrestling with new content or areas where I'm maybe as strong, but want strong. And so sometimes that may look really informal. It might mm-hmm. be me having a, a coffee with a friend who works in the sector or outside of the sector, quite frankly, if there's a skill set that I know that they have that would be valuable to my work, it's it you can actually workshop real life scenarios that they're currently managing to help yourself. You can also, I think one thing that uh, has come out sort of significantly in this last little bit as we are um, physically uh, distancing ourselves mm-hmm. is a plethora of online resources too. There's webinars, there's great podcast series. <laughs> there are plethora of different things that we can uh, explore which are also really helpful. And just because they're online doesn't mean they can't also be social. So there's mm-hmm. forums, there's communities, there's uh, webinars where you can have live Q&A And so if you're a social animal like me, uh, you may seek more of those opportunities out. But to your earlier point, just because it's in the style that I might like doesn't necessarily mean it has the quality that would be helpful. Mm. So it's really important to put sort of a lens of what has the quality that's going to help me advance, not just delivered in the way that I feel like I, I receive that the best. 
Absolutely. So how do we start to judge quality? Because that's probably the hardest thing to figure out. And I also think that um, sometimes we don't know what to be looking for in terms of learning outcomes. You know, we might have a general sense, this is an area I need to learn in, but when I compare curriculum or I look at different instructors, it's not clear what I'm, what I'm looking at. So how do we think about or evaluate uh, quality, especially I'm going to say, because there's lots of free stuff and some of it's amazing and some of it's not so great. Yeah. I think one of the ways to assess is to ask those that have been involved. Mm. Um, That might also help give you an opportunity to sort of refine what you think you might be looking for. So if you speak to someone that's been part of, a, I teach at Humber, for example. So if you, if you speak to someone who's graduated from one of my classes, I hope that they would tell you that it's current and it's valuable, but that might not actually, the content that they share with you may be what you're looking for. So that means that might not be the right opportunity for you, but it would give you a sense to reflect back with the help of else, where is the learning that you're actually seeking out and does this fit? That investment of time, I've got to say, is probably going to be super valuable because instead of enrolling for something, if you have a limited budget, either through your workplace or personally, um, you're committing to, especially in a classroom course like that at a college, a lot of time. So spending 15 minutes on the phone with someone might actually be the wisest thing you can do. Mm -hmm. And then it also offers you an opportunity to learn from a peer. They may have a bunch of other ideas for you. So it may be best to do, to invest more in exploring before you enroll. Absolutely. Um, I love that as well. One of the things we get a lot of feedback on and I think is so true is also looking for the right sized approach. So for a lot of small organizations, which is our primary audience, you know, it's not just the, the content that you see the big players come out with because sometimes that doesn't resonate with smaller organizations. And likewise, sometimes the, the stuff that's geared to smaller organizations might not be relevant to a big organization, right? They might be beyond that or it might not be how the organization works. Like so much of implementation is understanding your workplace culture and the way decisions are. And I think those are these big underlying issues that we don't always um, think about when we're looking for these opportunities. Mm -hmm. I agree with you. And so that to me begs the question, do you, are you connected in with your community of practice? And -hmm. I don't say that generally, I say that specifically. So if you are a fundraiser or maybe executive director or small organization that does some fundraising as many people find themselves doing. Are you connected in with others that have a similar size or scope to you? Because if you're not, you may be limiting yourself in terms of the learning that is applicable to your workplace. Mm -hmm. So, and those folks may have wonderful examples of resources that that they've come across, share those with them. And the gift of giving, of passing on those valuable resources to others that would find value from it, I mean, that is probably more significant than some major gifts Mm -hmm. if we think about the advancement of the organization. So I think if we adopt specific community of of practice that are intentional and sort of 
operate in the context where cases and resources can be shared and applied, I, that would probably be one of the most powerful things that you could do to advance your own professional development. Um, absolutely. And I, one of uh, my first professional development, I guess, networks of, of practice was exactly that. So I had gone to AFP Congress, which for those of you who don't know, uh, AFP, the Association of Fundraising Professionals, has a big conference every year in Toronto in uh, November. And that was an interest. I was at a small shop at the time and definitely learned a lot. But some of my best, uh, some of my best outcomes from that was meeting other people from small shops. And so that together we could, you know, think about, talk about and support each other in taking things forward, right? It's not just about what you learn, it's how you implement it. And I think having a peer group uh, as well as surrounding yourself by people who can be mentors is a really powerful way. But I think often we think about mentors and not about peers, to your point. And so the, I think that peer right. group is really valuable. Yeah. And entering an opportunity like Congress with some objectives for yourself, because there's a lot of different learning opportunities there for all different size organizations, subsectors, you name it. But if you walk in the front door of the convention center thinking, I'm going to find and connect with like-sized organizations so that I can build out a community practice that can be meaningful for my development. That's, you will, I guarantee you will walk out with new connections made. Even if you ask the question at the water cooler, Hey, I'm, I'm a lead an organization. It's around a million dollars annual budget. We've got three staff members looking for others like me. You will definitely be referred on to others that are, are part of that um, part of that conference absolutely and there's so many great resources or conference like conferences like that obviously that's fundraising specific and uh, I know you're very involved in AFP uh, which is great I also um, I've found for small organizations fundra- AFP fundraising day is really it feels a little more right-sized mm-hmm. uh, a lot of the sessions but you know, ONN has has a conference, the Ontario Nonprofit Network, a lot of other provinces have, have conferences. And so when we start congregating again, I think that personal connection, as you said, whether it's online, but I do think it's eas- more easily facilitated in, in person, um, that's such a huge outcome that we forget about a lot of the time. Back to our earlier point and being really uh, intentional around the learning that you want to pursue might lead you even outside of our sector. So if you're managing a smaller nonprofit, you may find offerings available to small businesses or, or entrepreneurs mm-hmm. that are fully applicable to the work that you're doing. But it's easier for you to curate those opportunities if you've got an idea up front of what it is you want to learn. So is it about um, financial literacy for, uh, you know, a million dollar sized organization. Well, there may be better offerings for you in a sort of a for-profit um, arena than, than maybe even through the professional association. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, one of my favorite marketing books uh, that I think is so relevant to the nonprofit sector is for, it's written for for-profits, Right. The content, though, is so bang on that uh, it really is universal. So, yeah, we often look within 
our sector because it's, I think you kind of referenced this earlier, it's comfortable, it's what we know, but sometimes, Mm -hmm. and I would say especially things that are um, cutting edge or more innovative, sometimes it's not not being driven by our sector. (laughs) So there are lots of great resources out there that allow you to learn those things uh, in in a new way. Yeah, agreed. And I think also we we need not be shy about this. I think mm-hmm. seeking um, professional development is honorable. It's so important. We, we, we open this conversation by acknowledging that. So reaching out to someone who you maybe don't know, mm-hmm. who's, for example, you if you're an executive director, you're wearing so many hats and you want some fundraising advice you may want to reach out to uh, a fundraiser that's at a larger shop, knowing that they'll have to adjust to the context. But what a wonderful privilege for someone who has been immersed in fundraising to be able to, even if it's a conversation or two, not necessarily something ongoing, to provide some support for someone who's seeking out ways to to, to advance themselves in their organization. I just think that's beautiful. So mm-hmm. I doubt you'll get a lot of cold shoulders if that's yeah. something you're interested in doing. Um, so I encourage others to a be receptive to that, but also think about might be they want to tap on the shoulder and get some advice. Yeah. I love that. And that's really, you know, mentorship. So we've sort of talked about how to think about or how to approach your professional development in terms of, you know, where are you struggling, right? Not just building on skills that you might already have, but what's that gut, you know, pit in your stomach. I'm scared of this. And how do I level up approach, which I really love because we do need to push ourselves, right? That's really where we're going to see the biggest growth. We talked about different models and ways of learning as well as, you know, formal education and informal, whether it's, uh, you know, a circle of peers, but also uh, mentors. What role does evaluation come into all of this? I know I've heard organizations where they have to, when an organization is paying for them to attend a conference or something like that, they actually have to come back and do some evaluative work, which I have mixed feelings on, to be honest. Where do you stand or what have you seen in terms of evaluating or sharing information or, you know, how do we reflect back and measure our progress? Yeah, that's really good. And it's a hard question to answer, I think, because there's very little like uh, in terms of effort that's done in that regard, but also tools that I've come across, at least, that, mm-hmm. that help one sort of go through that. Mandated evaluation, I think, will give people some hesitation. Mm-hmm. It, I can see from an enterprise perspective why an organization would want to institute that. But I'd also encourage folks to think about what are the questions that you want to ask yourself about whether or not something was valuable to you. Mm-hmm. And just even going through the exercise of creating your own, these are the five questions I'm going to ask when I'm investing time in a professional development opportunity in any form that are important to me to evaluate whether or not it's been helpful, that's probably a really good reflective activity to do before you set out and sign yourself up for things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you may think uh, there may be moments, sort of intuitive moments where you say, there was content during this course that I really found uncomfortable. 
again, using sort of the way it makes you feel to acknowledge where you might need to put more of your energy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that you will find might attend the same course and walk away with very, very different uh, ideas of the quality. Mm. So being open to hearing from others about their evaluation, but staying open to deciding whether or not it's been effective for you is I think also quite important. Absolutely. The thing that I find, and it depends on the level of, uh, of content. So for example, if I'm attending a webinar or a session at a conference or something like that, I usually look for two or three points max of things that are like aha moments, right? Like you can't sit there. You're not going to remember if you sit there through a session and you're writing a million notes, like that's not necessarily going to help you move forward. I think mm-hmm. it's really distilling it into like, what are the three most important things I can take from this? Cause really that's all we're going to remember at the end of the day. Um, mm-hmm. So I find like when I've been at conferences and I'm taking notes, I just, I try not to write everything down. I just really look for those big moments where I know that that will shift my foundations because everything else will start to fade away pretty quickly. Yeah, and you make a good point because we can't expect doing one to deliver the learning that we need if it's that is significant, is material practice. Yeah. So what are the few options in the year that would help you, you know, increase your financial literacy? I'm just using that as an example. Mm-hmm. Um, that you can that you can space out so that it's not just uh, a matter of attending and hope sticks. But simmering those thoughts, maybe going back to those two or three points from the previous uh, learning opportunity that you attended before you walk in the door uh, or log in online for that next opportunity. But it sort of weaves in this learning throughout your year might allow for more for more sticking power, for more sticking mm-hmm. power. Yeah. And that's where something like online learning can be instrumental to organizations is because it's not done when it's over, right? You usually have long-term access to content. And actually some of my favorite online courses that I've done, I'm a, I like online learning a lot because um, I'm really motivated and I get the work done. Uh, but I love it when I can go back and I can rewatch things and learn something new or take away something new that wasn't there for me the first time because I've already made progress and I've been learning along the way. So that's Mm -hmm. a really unique opportunity, I think. Mm -hmm. And you may want to think about your learning in terms of seasons. Mm. So uh, December is a terrible time for me or that sort of a year end period is a terrible time for me to expect myself to be really present in learning opportunities. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm not saying don't do it and maybe different for every person. But summer is a good time for me to make a bit more space in my life for me to address that. So I'm terribly um, sort of maybe obsessive about my planning, (laughs) but that helps me figure out when am I going to, when is it available for me to do this work? Mm -hmm. And that might be something to consider for, for folks as well. Absolutely. Again, I think this is such an important conversation to be had. I think we've talked about a lot of 
like a whole range of learning opportunities, whether it's, you know, free and informal to, you know, some of the world's biggest conferences, uh, which I think is, is really helpful for people and, and being intentional about, you know, understanding what your learning objectives are, your learning styles, but also when uh, during the year is best for you and how you can pull that together into a bit of a, a learning plan. And I want to maybe conclude, you sort of mentioned you're very deliberate with yours. Can you walk us through a little bit around how you plan for your learning uh, and how often and, and what that looks like? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, and I can tell you there's a sticky note. It's the plans don't have to be glamorous. There's a sticky note <laughs> on my computer upstairs mm-hmm. <laughs> that has sort of a few guideposts for me. Um, I made it on a plane. I was traveling back from a work event and that was a peaceful moment for me to just stare out the window and think about trajectory. Mm-hmm. And um so again, it comes back to being thoughtful in the onset before it subscribing and rolling and things. I, for myself, I started with thinking about what's the trajectory that I want to have? And then what are the skills that are going to round me out to be able to get there? Hmm. So um, if you're not totally sure in which direction you want to head, it might be a little bit more difficult for you, but maybe a bit more and you can but for me, there are some elements that I think I need to know more about. If I want to be a significant leadership position with multiple accountabilities outside of fundraising, then I'm going to need to learn about those. Mm-hmm. So I think that, for example, managing investments, I know very, very little about that. I think it would be helpful to my personal life as well as to my professional life for me to find out more about it. And I may not pursue that sort of thing within a nonprofit setting it's mm-hmm. come from something else. And so I have some ideas of a way to adopt to that. One of them is starting uh, with some that um, a colleague is going to, uh, I should is over. Um, but there are some other settings. I'm also really interested in governance. I'll be working more with boards. I do now in my day to day, but um, at this point I'm not a CEO, so I'm not working as directly with that group. But we can't expect our nonprofit professionals to sort of rise to their ranks because they're good at fundraising, for example, and then be, be ready to provide the support that a board needs to be functioning at a high level. Mm-hmm. So I've pursued some education through the Institute of Corporate Directors. And um, it, that's very expensive, to be honest. And I applied for one of the bursaries and I received it. So there are some ways for you to think about how do I finance this or how do I resource this? And there's lots of wonderful opportunities. I know, for example, that the local bursaries that are available for um, EFP Toronto events don't receive a plethora of applications. So that's Mm. a plug for folks that might be considering some of those events. Yeah. These are some of the ways that I've mapped out for myself and I've spread it over multiple years. This is not all going to happen this year. I'm not going to be a CEO tomorrow but I want to be more ready for that role by the time I'm stepping into it. And then I will continue to need to identify those areas that need more learning. Awesome. I I love that. And I think you've given people a really clear uh, behind the scenes look at what it, what it means to put this into action, which is amazing. 
Um, I do want to wrap up with if you could let people know how they can learn about you. And as we mentioned, you are involved in AFP Toronto, uh, which is a great resource. It has conferences. It has a mentorship program. It has bursaries for small organizations. So where can they learn more about you and uh, AFP? It's online. Uh, LinkedIn is is preferred platform. I'm, my name is Aaron Sanderson. I'm the Senior Vice President of Advancement at Kids Help Phone so that you know that you have the right Aaron. <laughs> but I love connecting with colleagues about this. I always find out about new resources. I think one of the best ways to learn is to also teach. So consider that for those of you that might yeah. have great session ideas and uh, maybe even want to be in a formal setting. Those are so powerful. Um, you learn a lot from those that are uh, supposed to be learning from you. It's uh, wonderful that way. The best way to get involved with AFP is to go to the AFP Toronto. Uh, if you're in the kind of greater Toronto area chapter, the Canadian chapter is putting a lot more resources in right now as well. But there are, as you say, Cindy, so many opportunities to get involved, but also different formats for learning. And the wonderful part about that is most of this is all drawing from really contemporary material. So there's already resources popping up about fundraising in this crazy, unprecedented time. And in more formal settings, as you said before, sometimes those don't percolate as quickly. So mm-hmm. you can get maybe some more real-time information from, from some of that. But again, I, I encourage folks, if they're interested in having a virtual chat about Prodi opportunities, or even just if they have ideas that they think I would be interested in, please connect with me online. Amazing. Aaron, thank you so much for being on the podcast. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Well, folks, that's it for today's episode of The Small Nonprofit. I'm your host, Cindy Wagman, and this show is brought to you by The Good Partnership. As a reminder, if you want more resources around raising more money for your small nonprofit, visit thegoodpartnership.com and download our free fundraising strategy guide. I'll see you next week. Mm